Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions here live on our show. My name's Tina with my great friends, Jane Wendy here. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Uh, we're so grateful for all of our viewers. We just want to thank you for joining us tonight as we open God's word and answer Bible questions. We want to re uh, remind everybody that, again, this is live. So if you have any questions or comments that you would like to share um, with us, here live on the show put them down in the comment section below uh we are watching all of our comments on all of our social media platforms on facebook on youtube and on twitch so we appreciate all those great comments and we want to uh, thank everybody who's um, whether it's your first time joining us or your returning viewer we thank you for joining us again tonight we're so blessed to be able to open god's word and just um, see what his answers are based on the bible so um before we get started tonight, we do want to just uh, thank everybody again for being um, supporters of Bible Ask. We want to let everybody know something really cool. Actually, I'm just going to plug it in for something at the end. So stay tuned to the end because we have some really exciting news that we want to share for, coming from Bible Ask to you. So um, at the end of the show, I'll, I'll go ahead and share that. So hopefully you guys stay tuned and you guys enjoy. So before we dive into our questions, though, tonight, uh, Jay or Wendy, you want to have a quick prayer for us? Sure, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and mercy and all you do for us. And we ask that you please be with us now as we dive into your word. And just um, may your spirit guide us into all truth, your truth, which is so amazing and full of love. And we pray everybody will be, will be blessed and we draw closer to you this evening. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Wendy, do we have questions? I know yes. we do. Let's get our first question up. All right. So Harvey is asking, where was Esau during Joseph's famine? Harvey, that is a great question. Um, I think that's something that you know, I've kind of thought about in a way as well, because um, we know in the story of Joseph, uh, Joseph is the son of Jacob who became um, Israel. And Jacob was the younger brother of Esau. Now, you know that, um, you know, the story of Joseph, how he was sold as a slave into Egypt, um, into the house of Potiphar, and then he became a prisoner when he was falsely accused. And then eventually he became second to Pharaoh. Um, as providence would have it, that um, he was able to interpret dreams. And so basically through Joseph, the nation of I Egypt was blessed and um, uh, basically became uh, a landmark for being able to um, provide food because Joseph was given a warning through a dream that God gave to Pharaoh and um, where there would be seven years of plenty, where they were to store up and prepare for seven years of famine. And so because Egypt was the only nation in the world that had prepared properly for this famine. Um, Egypt became a center for people coming to be able to have their needs provided for it, and Egypt became very wealthy because of it. So we see that because of Joseph, uh, the nation of Egypt was blessed. Now, during that time, we know that Jacob, who became Israel, like I said, um, came, uh, sent his sons to Egypt in order to get grain to sustain their family. But the question that is definitely begged is like, well, what happened to Esau? Why didn't he come to Egypt? Why don't we hear anything about him? And so that is a good question. And um, I can't say exactly Bible answer, but I will share with you a few things that the Bible does mention. And the first um, thing I want to share is just kind of where Esau was. And the Bible does make that very clear. Um, if you look at the book of Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse three, or just verse three, if you have it, uh, Genesis chapter 32 and verse three. And the Bible says, you want to put it up? I don't know if we can. If not, it's okay. I can read it. So basically it says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So basically where Esau was, was in the mountain of Seir um, in the country of Edom. And the Bible actually says Something very interesting a little bit later this is basically when uh, right before um jacob goes to meet his brother and um uh, they forgive each other and there's a reconciliation and it's just a really beautiful story um but basically 
uh, it says where e Esau was, which was in Mount Seir, which is the land of Edom. And um, the Bible makes it very clear about this place, Edom, in Genesis chapter 36 and verse 8. So I'll go ahead and read that for you. That's pretty much key as, as to where um, Esau was at, at, during his lifetime. And it says in Genesis 36, 8, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. So basically the nation of Edom, the Edomites that you read about in the Bible are all based on the nation of Esau. Now, wait, why was that the case? Um, you see that again later in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter two, verses four and five. And I think this kind of gives the answer maybe you're looking for, at least it satisfied my curiosity. So I hope it um, answers your question. Deuteronomy, uh, if I could spell that, it's in my Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter two, verses four and five. Um, and so basically this comes later on um, after, you know, the Israelites are delivered by Moses and after they spent 40 years waiting in the wilderness, they're finally going to make it to the promised land. And they're going to walk through Edom because um, basically where Edom Edom was, was in, it's a mountain in the southeastern part of, of Judah. And so it's actually pretty close to Egypt. It's um, where you would call Canaan, um, basically, you know, south, of, a little bit south of Israel. Um, so basically this place though seems to be pretty special so again in deuteronomy chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 god says something very specific about this land and so it says in deuteronomy 2 4 and 5 and command thou the people saying you are to pass through the coast of your brethren the children of esau which dwell in seir and they shall be afraid of you take you good heed unto yourselves therefore so god's saying be careful in verse five, it says, meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land. No, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for possession. And so God was very clear to the nation of Israel that this area of Edom, this Mount Seir, that God gave it to Esau and all of his descendants. And so God was not going to give it to Israel. So what kind of makes me think when I when I read this is that this must have been a very nice land. This must have been a land probably, I mean, if it's up in the mountains, probably had, you know, better water retention, maybe more rainfall, you know what I mean? It might have been able, they might have been able to sustain themselves a little bit better than those that were maybe down in the valleys or plains um, down um, in other areas. So basically what I think probably happened i think esau's descendants probably were okay during the time of joseph's fa famine I, I would think so based on just kind of the picture i see of this land that it was you know up in the mountains it was you know very nice it obviously it was something that god had to say hey don't don't even meddle with these people don't bother them okay they're gonna, i'm preserving this for them okay this is their heritage and so I would suspect that it was a very nice land and it probably brought forth a lot of produce and um, they were able to sustain themselves is would be my guess. Um, is it possible that maybe they needed to go down and buy food from Egypt during that time? It's possible, but the Bible just doesn't mention it. So um, I hope that gives you some clear picture of, you know, where Esau was during that time. Um, he definitely lived in Mount Seir and his descendants were there for generations the bible goes through generation after generation of esau and all his descendants um like there was dukes that came out of him and all these special and um you know important people that um are mentioned in his lineage so it's pretty cool if you get a chance to read that but yeah he was definitely in edom in mount seir that's um what the bible has to say about that so any other thoughts dear wendy nope that's that's how I see it too. Very nice. Awesome. Very cool. All right. I know we've got a few more questions, so let's get to it. And if anybody has any thoughts or comments or wants to say a shout out, say where you're from, um, anything, we'd love to hear from y'all. Absolutely. Yeah. And please let us know you're here. Thank you, Olivia, for, for the shout out. And again, if you're joining us now, please let us know you're here. We'll love to say hi. And Please ask questions. We love those on the fly. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up. 
So John is asking why there was no mention. What well, I think it's supposed to be why was there no mention of heaven in the Old Testament? Well, John, I think it's because you you have not seen them. They are there, and it's just maybe you are passing over them. There are so many verses of it, and sometimes it's understandable because the Bible might talk about the holy mountain or Zion, and it could be maybe a little bit unclear whether the Bible's talking about Jerusalem or it's talking about um, it's talking about uh, the holy city in heaven. So sometimes you might have to figure out which one it is, or sometimes maybe it's both of them in a sense at, a, at the same time. But there are also times where the Bible outright is telling us about heaven, scenes in heaven, and these are in the Old Testament. And these are actually some of my favorite ones. So we have, I think, a bit more time today, so we actually can go a bit more in detail on some of them, too, so it's a bit more fun. Now, the oldest book of the Bible, some people believe, and I'm with them, is the book of Job. And the book of Job actually has, it starts off with scenes in heaven. So if you look at Job, Job chapter 1, starting at verse 6, it, it reads, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where did you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And, and so, and then from here, God mentions Job. But in this context, we see God asks, like, where did it come from, Satan? And he says, it came from earth. By this, we could gather they're not on earth. This is actually in the heavenly courtroom. And when it talks about the sons of God, this is actually a reference often to um, the angels and other created beings who are coming together, assembling, which they do from time to time. And the Bible talks about how we will do that. Um, even with the new earth, we'll be having these regular monthly assemblies, for example. So this is the first time we see it. Um, and we see, you see this again in Job 2. We don't need to go there. But if we jump now to 1 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 19. Uh, a little background on this story king ahab uh no no yeah king ahab i think and then jeroboam not jeroboam uh jehoshaphat two kings ahab was a king of israel jehoshaphat was the king of judah because they had split and they were talking about going and attacking someone ahab wanted to go attack and jeroboam said well sorry jehoshaphat said let's have a meeting let let us uh, consult with some prophets to make sure God is okay with this. And all the prophets say, oh, yes, 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 this is fine. There was like 200 of them, totally cool with it. But then uh, Jehoshaphat didn't quite feel good about it. He's like, let's consult with someone else. There's really like a prophet of God here who could tell us. And there was one, and uh, he. this is what he said. He has a vision. This is from Micaiah, the prophet. Starting at 1 Kings 22, verse 19. He says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord coming down on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will per persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner, referring to like the angels. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go ahead and be the lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. So here we see the heavenly court courtroom in a sense. There, another assembly, just like in Job. And a lying spirit, I would believe this is Satan, again, coming into that courtroom, he had access to God, to the courtroom, which he gained. Um, it's a little bit confusing. Satan, you know, was kicked out of heaven. You read that in Revelation 12. Um, but then you're like, wait, he's kicked out. How is he back in? Well, we, we've talked about it in other videos, but 
in a sense, when Cain, oh, sorry, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave control, they gave their authority on the earth to Satan. Satan now became the ruler, and Satan becomes now the representative of earth, and he's going to these meetings on behalf of earth. And so when he says, you know, in Job, I'm going to throw the earth, he can because it's all his domain. So um, we have similar scenes, uh, Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 7. There we see Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So this is a vision. Uh, Joshua wasn't taken to heaven, but we sort of have a courtroom scene again. Satan's there, and Satan's trying to argue against one of God's people. And there the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Uh, so that's, uh, I would say this is a heavenly scene. Daniel 7, 9 to 10. So again, this one, this one, very interesting scene. Daniel verses 9, sorry, Daniel 7 verses 9 to 10. And it says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and, the, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. So, I mean, just... Again, we have to remember... 10,000 is about the largest number that these people in ancient times could comprehend. They didn't have million, billion, trillion. They had 10,000. That's their big number. And so when they say like 10,000s times 10,000s, like it's like for us, like infinity times infinity, um, almost uh, not saying it's infinity, right? But to the gigantic number. So this is the heavenly courtroom. It says, and the court was seated and the books were open. So here, Daniel's seen heaven. And he's seeing like at the beginning of judgment with the uh, thrones in place and uh, books being open. Then uh, there are so many verses in the Psalms talking about heaven, referring to it. For example, the, this is a famous one Psalm 82, verses 1 to 8 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges amongst the gods. So a similar scene we keep seeing again, right? God, and he's surrounded by a lot of people, and here refers him to the gods. That word there, I believe, is Elohim. The, the word Elohim can be used for the God and can be also used for angels often. So we shouldn't be, oh, no, what's going on? Are we polytheists? Um, Again, there's God, the mighty God, the one and only true God. And then, uh, I mean, the angels are powerful beings too. So it's not denying that. Um, anybody who's a child of God, as we'll see in a sense, is a God, but not the God. There's, uh, we could go on for this. I don't mean to cause too much confusion. But so he judges amongst the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and, how, and show partiality to the wicked? And then it reads on. Uh, verse 6, it says, I said, you are gods and you are children of the Most High and you will, like, you shall die like men and you fall like the one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all nations. I believe here it's talking about falling angels, especially how they are going to be judged and they are going to be destroyed just like uh, the wicked humans will be too. Now, in Exodus, we actually get some scenes uh, of heaven as well. Uh, and first, we have a mentioning here of God dwelling in a sanctuary. Exodus 15, verses 17 and 18, it says, You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O God, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So God has a sanctuary. He, he's made it. He has, it's his holy mountain. And you could argue, well, he's talking about the promised land here. But it says there is another promised land, another holy mountain, another sanctuary which exists. And then if we go forward to Exodus 25, verses 8 to 9, it says, 
and let them make me a sanctuary, Moses, uh, God is talking to Moses, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishing, furnishings, just so you shall make it. So God showed Moses basically an image of the sanctuary that's in heaven. And he says, now I want you to make a smaller version of that here on earth. And again, there's, there's a lot of other verses alluding to God having a temple in heaven. Psalms 11, 4 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. I say, well, maybe that's one on earth. No, next, next line, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Psalms 102, 19. Psalms 102, 19 says, for he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven, the Lord viewed the earth. Again, we're, we're talking about earth, or sorry, heaven. God is, you know, using the, the term above. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 1 to 2, it says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is a house you will build for me, and where is a place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But this one will I look on him who is poor and, in, and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God's like, hey, I'm way up here. I'm way in heaven. Uh, what's the earth to me? Yet I like humble people. Now, Isaiah had a vision. Uh, he was at the temple, at the real or physical temple in, on earth. And then he has a vision where he sees God. It, uh, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7 says, In the year King, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two covered his feet, and two, two he flew. And one cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if this doesn't sound familiar, go look in Book of Revelation and you see this language again, you know, with the seraphim or the beast saying, holy, 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 and just continually saying that all the time, singing it. Um, so imagine that that helps us get an idea of what heaven is like, right? Singing and praising of God. Holy, holy, holy is he. Um, and the most of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried. <laughs> Just this whole scene, Isaiah, Isaiah in verse 5, he's like, Woe to me, I'm done, because I am a man of unclean lips. Just He's so blown away by the glory, and just in contrast to how he is. Um, if you keep reading, you'll see a sign of an altar. I believe that is the altar of incense, incense there on earth. Ezekiel chapter 1 also uh, later in, in verse 26, we see another vision. Similar people see seraphim, see sapphire stone. There's blue stones. Um, and then you see a throne of God again. And this is similar to what we see in Exodus 24. It says, Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Um, Exodus 24, verses 9 to 10. And 70 of the elders, and they saw God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, Pave work of sapphire stones, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So we gather from these two verses that heaven, there's going to be these blue sapphire stones. That's going to be a part of the, the core, the, the foundations, these elements of it. Um, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Here we have a discussion of Lucifer or Satan. Um, I believe one and the same, and um, it's talking about how Satan was there in heaven, uh, and so, talking about how he wants to be in heaven, he wants to exalt his throne above the stars of God, he wants to sit on the holy mountain of the congregation on the farthest north side, he'll send the height of the cloud, and wants to be like the most high, and he's fallen from heaven. Exodus 28, 
12 and 16, um, we hear that we hear that the um, again more about Satan and about how he's in Eden. Verse 13 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the stardust, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, all these beautiful gemstones and gold. It says, You know, you were the workmanship of timbrels and pipes. You were the anointed cherub. You were perfect in all ways. Um, it goes on, you defiled all your oh like this. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. This is something similar to what we see in in Daniel, right? Where it's talking about the fire, fire coming out of the throne. So this sort of similar imagery. So heaven is there. There's so many references to it. Just pay attention. And if you look at them all at once, you start stitching together the full picture of what does heaven look like. And it is um, an amazing place. And uh, as that verse says, no eye is seen, no no ear is heard. Um, No one can basically comprehend what God has in store for us. But if you keep reading the verse, but God has revealed these things through his prophets. God has given us a bit of insight into some of the amazing things we can expect. And it's out of this world. And I mean, we think gold is fun. We see a little bit of gold. We see a little bit of jewels. Like they're going to be all over the place. We're not even going to think about money because what is it to us? It's just there for us to enjoy, be wowed by. And I can't wait to be there. And I hope you can't wait to be there too. Tina, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's really good, you know, um, because there are so many mentions of heaven that might not be super direct, but it's definitely real. And we definitely know that God's people knew about heaven. Um, it's very clear. My When I think of heaven in the Old Testament, my favorite story, and I don't know if you mentioned this because I got a little distracted uh, with the technical issue, but um, is when Jacob had that dream of his ladder. And um, it literally says um, in Genesis chapter 28, and and he dreamed, behold, a ladder set upon earth and the ladder reached to the top to heaven and behold, angels of God descending and ascending and descending on it. So we do see heaven in the Old Testament for sure. But we see it, like you're saying, throughout, if you really get to know the Bible and see, you know, when it's talking about the throne of God, his sanctuary in heaven, there's so many, many, many mentions of it that it can't be more clear. And we definitely know that God's people in the Old Testament knew about um, the he- about mm-hmm. heaven because they were all striving for it. And you see that um, in, I mean, the, the biggest picture of it, I think, is like, you know, the land of Canaan when Moses delivered the people. It's a symbol for heaven, uh, the promised land. But um, when I think about the Old Testament characters, like in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about. And, know, and just want to pause for a moment. Oh, sorry. Sure. If I can. Just Darius, yes, we see your comments. We are live and we'll get to your questions. So I don't want you to leave before we get to there. So sorry. Uh, back to you, Tina. Sure, no worries. Um, yeah, so just going to uh, back just really quick. And we know that the Old Testament characters definitely, you know, knew that there was a heaven because it says, um, like, when you look at Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, where that talks about all these greats of the Old Testament, whether it's, you know, um, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And it says something really cool in um, Hebrews 11, um, uh, uh, 14, basically how um, they were talking about how they're pilgrims for for these things. They declared plainly that they seek a country in verse 16 says, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly from whence they came out that they might have, if they had opportunity to have returned. So basically, um, they were seeking heaven. We know that for sure. And, um, you know, Elijah was caught up to heaven. E- e- Enoch was caught up to heaven. So there's so many uh, different things about heaven in the Old Testament. Definitely. it's it's a, It was real for them and it's real for us. And we're all seeking the same place. And I hope we all get there. Amen. Amen. So Darius has some questions. And I think we got some quick answers we can point you to. Actually, some of these we've answered before. We got videos on them. So Darius says, um, basically asks, um, is he going to, if he was a sinner like 17 years ago, 17,000 years ago, why do I go to hell? Well, I think we have a couple answers to that. Um, first off, 
there is hell isn't necessarily a place it's more going to be an event where those who have not repented of their sins and cling to sin in a sense they want to stay with the sin they're going to be destroyed with sin god's going to destroy it just like uh you know we we destroy disease we want to you know we're so careful about uh, wearing masks and things like that because we want to prevent the spread of of things well god is sort of treats sin the same way so if we want to stay infected with sin and we don't want god to cure us then when god goes to destroy the disease of sin he's going to have to destroy us with it that's um not, the, and it's not that he wants to destroy us with it. it's that yeah we're gonna we're choosing to walk into destruction it, at that point like god god has the fire to destroy sin and those who follow that path are going to walk into that fire of their own choice, but that's not God's plan for, for people. Yeah, I mean, Tina, what's the verse where Jesus says, like, why would you, why would you die, O Israel? Like, he God says, please choose life. That's what he wants. Yeah, that's in the book of Ezekiel. I believe it's in chapter yeah. 33. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely. And it's it's never God's will for us to die. In um, 2 Peter chapter um, 3, I believe it's verse 9, where it says, God is not willing that any, or God is long suffering towards us, uh, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to mm. repentance. And, you know, it just goes back to for or John 3, 16, really, like I always bring that verse up, but it's so true that, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish. So if you want to believe in God, he offering salvation to you, um, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, and basically, you know, if you keep reading in that chapter, it says, you know, that if, if you if you don't want it, then you're going to perish. It's 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 your choice. And um, mm -hmm. it's sad that, you know, there are things, people make choices that affect other people um, because we live in a sinful world. And, you know, we're not always given the best opportunity to know who God really is, his character of love, but we need to look for him. We need to look for his truth. And I do believe that God calls to every single person um, in their lifetime in some way. So um, we just need to keep our ears open yeah. and our hearts open to his, his voice. And we... We did a deep dive on it last week where we talked about how if you were an evil person in the past or you had done the bad things in the past, God doesn't care so much. God cares about who you are today. If you are a totally different person, you repent and you turn from those things, that's what God cares about. And you could be born again, be a new person in Christ, be a new creation. You get to start over like with a blank slate. That's what's so awesome about what the Bible teaches, um, you know, about how God really is. It's completely different than what you hear today in cancel culture, where you sin, you mess up, you're stuck with that the rest of your life. You know, people want you to believe, but you are not your past. You don't have to be that person. You can, in a sense, have that person die. The Bible says that old you should die, and you, again, be born again, be a new person. Um, and this is what Jesus is talking about in John 3, when he's speaking with Nicodemus and about being born again and so i say but mm -hmm. so says yeah but don't you feel i'm i'm uh, trying to understand what you're saying here darius and maybe you can clarify yeah. what you but don't you feel guilty um job in the pillars of salt he got canceled for two thousand years um sorry? you mean uh, lot's wife yeah yeah, I'm not sure where you're going with that. Don't know. Um, I mean, she was told, don't look back. She didn't listen. Her heart was with Sodom and Gomorrah. So they're supposed to be running, let that chapter of their life burn. But she, her heart was still with them. And then so she perished with them. It says is what oh, that was about. Okay, so the other question oh. is saying, um, like, oh, oh okay. Instance, so, like, people who oh, didn't see. know Jesus, uh, what about them? What happens to people who didn't know Jesus? So, so I, okay, I don't know. Jay, do you want to answer that? Go for it. Uh, uh, so the Bible talks about how people are judged according to the best light given to them. Paul writes, I think, is it in the book of Romans, Gina? 
Um, I'm not sure. Like when I think about those who um, maybe don't don't have never heard the name of Jesus or the name of God, um, God's not necessarily going to judge them. Like, oh well, you never heard about Jesus, so you can't go to heaven. I don't think that's true. Um, I I don't know exactly where that's found. Where people are to live up to the best light that they know of, um, that escapes me. But what I think about, um, I think it's pretty clear in the Old Testament. There's a book or a verse in Zechariah chapter thirteen verse six, and it says basically it's talking about heaven, and it says, and one shall say to him, which would be Jesus, what are these wounds in your hands? I mean, obviously that's Jesus, right? He was crucified for us. He died for us that way. And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So there's going to be people who are going to go to heaven and say, hey, Jesus, what are these wounds in your hands about? I don't know this story. They don't know Jesus. They don't know that he died for their salvation. But they're going to be in heaven to be able to ask him that. And I do believe, like you're saying, Jay, it's, they lived up to the light that they knew. They lived up to the conscience of their heart. And so, um, you know, I think God is much bigger than our limited understanding of things. And yeah. I think God judges righteously. Um, I think there will be people in heaven that maybe never knew the name of Jesus, but they lived up like, you know, where you're kind of saying to the light they knew to be a, you know, a good person, mm -hmm. to be fair, to, to be um, the best person they could be. And I think, yeah, God I think right. I think it's right also name. important. Thank you. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Tina. And I think it's also important to realize that a, there are, there are people that that know God that may not have ever met someone who calls themselves a Christian. There's it's amazing the biblical stories that have been carried in. I mean, we have heard stories from people who have worked in the mission field in um, in extreme remote tribes, and these tribal groups have stories of the flood within them and Noah's Ark within them. And they've they've never talked to somebody who knew the Bible stories like that we think of today. Typically, like no one has come come and preached to them the word of God before, but they have these stories. They have they they, they there is possibility for people to know God without having met someone who calls themselves a Christian. They may not have the full understanding yet of God and of Jesus and of everything that there is to know. But, you know, frankly, nobody has the full understanding. Uh, but they, but there are elements there. And God has a relationship with everybody that's outside of the Bible. I mean, the Bible is this wonderful book that can help us to know God's love better and can help us draw near to God. and to understand what is going on in the world and everywhere, you know, everything that's going on. But the relationship with God goes beyond the Bible. And so it's important, I think, to understand that people who live in, you know, these remote places and maybe have never heard, quote unquote, the name of Jesus, they may still know God and have that. God has ways of reaching people wherever they are and in their ways to 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 know them and to get to know them and to develop that relationship with them because it's not just a head knowledge it's it's an experience definitely yeah. and just to comment you have a comment but no dogs in heaven i don't think that's true yeah. I think when the Bible dogs. says no dogs i think the dogs sometimes was like oh, a language used refer to a male prostitute so that's what yeah, i it, think they were talking about not yeah it's it just not a, a, yeah, not an actual animal. <laughs> yeah, the book of Isaiah talks about all these animals being in, in heaven. So I there'll be there'll be plenty of animals. You'll have be able to have your pets. So it'll, it'll be great. Yeah, I'm all definitely right. counting on being re last... reunited. Yeah. <laughs> I think God is merciful in that way. All right, let's get our next question up. Mm -hmm. So Brenda is asking, is dating a married man a Brenda, that is a very good question. And I don't know if you're asking for yourself or for somebody else, or you're just curious, um, but I will give you a very biblical answer. And then I will give you some biblical advice. And then I'll give you my personal advice, if that's okay. I'll try to 
keep it quick. But um, I do want to make sure I give you the proper attention to this because this is a very serious question and it can have eternal consequences. So I do want you to know exactly what the Bible says about this. Um, as far as, you know, what is sin? For, you're asking, is it sin to, to date a married man? Um, as far as, you know, what is sin? First um, John 3, 4 says, sin is a transgression of the law. And we know that the law of God in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says it, um, do not commit adultery. It is a sin to commit adultery. Now you might be saying, well, I'm just going on a date. You know, I'm not actually, you know, having sex with this person or, or whatnot, but that's, <laughs> that's still, you know, you're basically on that path. And Jesus warns us about not even, you know, going on that path. You know, it, Jesus says, you know, you say not to commit adultery, but do you lust after somebody in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. And so you really need to guard yourself whoever this is needs to guard themselves in order to prevent um, those actions that lead up to the actual act. Because even just, you know, letting your mind run in that direction, um, which would easily happen if you're dating somebody, um, is, you know, you're definitely going in that wrong path. Now, as far as, you know, just biblical advice, um, Jesus is something very true. I always try to bring up simple truths of Jesus um, that he says, and he says something I think we all know in Luke chapter six, verse uh, 31, which is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do to you. And if you were married to somebody, whether or not you were getting along with them, would you want somebody else to come and date your spouse, go on a date with them? Probably not. I'm married and I would be devastated if I found out my husband just went on a date with somebody else. Like it would be my heart would be crushed. It, I would not be okay with it. So please, it's not okay. You would not want that. I'm speaking as a married woman. I would not want somebody to do that to me. So I would probably in, in this wife's case, um, be speaking for her as well. Um, and the thing is, as far as, you know, just biblical advice as to, you know, where your, you know, somebody's role is when they're, you know, a single woman dealing with a married man, um, you know, that you have to be very, very careful because, um, you know, we aren't supposed to be doing things that even look like sin, you know, avoid even the appearance of evil. But the thing is to, you know, God says something very special about marriage. And um, when you look in the book of um, Mark chapter 10, verses seven through nine, I really want us to focus on this really quick um, because I think this is very important. And Mark chapter seven, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, uh, verses seven through nine. Um, this is really key as far as, you know, should you date or not date somebody married? Um, and it says, basically talking of marriage, Jesus says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So a man is only supposed to cleave to his wife. And Jesus says in verse eight, they shall become one flesh. Um, they're no more two flesh, but one flesh. And in verse nine, it says something, what therefore God has joined together, let no one put asunder. So if you are, or in the New King James Version, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So if God has allowed two people to become married, it is definitely a sin, it's definitely wrong for someone to then come in and begin the separation. Even if it's just a date, even if it's just drinks or whatever, it's still causing a separation of something God has joined together in holy matrimony. It's not, it's not okay. Um, and I've had plenty of, not plenty, but I've had, you know, a girlfriend, you know, friend of mine that she was just like, you know, I really met this guy and he's so great and blah, 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 but he's married, but you know, he seems to, you know, not really want to be married anymore. And he really likes me. And he says, you know, he can't really talk to his wife, but he can talk to me. And he, you know, you just kind of get caught up in these, or, I don't know, <laughs> I've never struggled with this, thank God, I have the best husband in the world, but, you know, she was just telling me all these things, I'm like, sweetheart, no, don't do it, do not even think about dating this guy at all, period, ever, and um, that kind of brings me into my personal advice, <laughs> uh, one more biblical advice, though, um, and just so you know, if, if you have any doubts, like, well, I'm not committing adultery because I'm not married, or some... The, the sinful heart will do any, make any excuse to sin. Um, and I just want you to be very, very clear that the Bible is not okay with any form of 
adultery, whether it's, um, you know, just premeditated or uh, whatever, you know, form it takes. Um, the Bible is something very, very clear also, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse, um, excuse me, uh, 9 through 11, 9 and 11. So basically here, Paul is saying, you know, that don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So if you're doing something unrighteous, like <laughs> stepping into a, an, uh, an adulterous relationship, um, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, no, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. So even if you're not the person married, but you're committing adultery because you're being with somebody who is married, or you're being with somebody that you're not married to, it is sin. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 is your piece of hope that I hope that you would cling to, uh, whoever this is. And um, verse 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the, our spirit of God. So basically, you, I, I would pray that your decision would be, hey, this is a life that is wrong. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to be washed by Jesus. And I'm going to start something new because you cannot continue in this and can call yourself righteous, period. Um, and so just as far as um, personal advice as a married woman, I would say it, this is not a good choice for a million reasons. But the biggest thing I would say to you, which, which is what I said to my friend who was um, considering dating, not married, you know, not doing anything physical, but dating somebody who was um, married, which is this, if he's considering dating you while he's married, he's gonna date somebody else. Even if he says he loves you, even if he promises to commit to you, he does one day commit to you and leave his wife and marry you. He's the kind of, he's demonstrated his character that he's okay with dating somebody outside of marriage. And that's not somebody you want to get involved with and give your heart to and give your time and your energy and your love to. I'm sorry. It's not a good choice. So <laughs> that's my personal advice. I pray God would lead you by his Holy Spirit um, to be married to God, that Jesus would be your husband until you are ready to find your true earthly husband who is not married, who is single as well, and that God will join you together in a beautiful, loving married relationship where you're not always going to be in fear of, will he be dating somebody else? You're, that's not a secure, healthy relationship. You want to be with somebody secure and healthy and who loves and fears God. So again, that's my advice to you. Uh, Jay or Wendy, I know you guys are also very happily married. So uh, if you have any other thoughts on that. I, I think he summed it up very well. And like seriously, very well. Yeah. And I, I think the only thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really have quick words to say, you know, to add to that. I think you covered all the all the important points to it. I, I guess that what I was thinking is something along the lines of there are I, I have seen a number of, of people get into a relationship with someone who's already in a relation in a monogamous relationship and they think that there is something very special to them and you know very special to their connection with this person and that sort of thing but keep in mind like that person is not emotionally available even if they pretend to be a little bit like they're just the the, the relationship is not a two-way street and there's, you know, they're avoiding dealing with something by having this sort of side type of relationship. And it's just like you said, it's all kinds of problems that you're going to walk into in that situation. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Tina said that you just you just don't even want to go there because it's gonna it's it's not what you think it is, no matter what it what you're experiencing at the moment that's not going to be the reality of it. Yeah. And like it kind of what you just said right now, too, it reminds me of something um, that God, or Paul says about Moses, um, about um, this is also in Hebrews chapter 11, that basically he'd rather um, suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
And, you know, a lot of people get into these kind of relationships because they think, oh, it's fun or whatever for a season. But the end result is is just a mess. And it's, you know, shameful. It's embarrassment. It's, it's you know, and, it, and ultimately it's destruction if you, you know, yeah. if you don't repent of it. Um, it's it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. like somebody being like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I agree. I fully agree with everything that you're saying. It's not a good situation to get involved with and there's no good outcome to it. And, you know, I mean, even look at like we have a biblical example of of um is it Uriah? Yeah, David and Uriah. Da- David and Uriah, yeah. Uh and you know, the roles reversed a little bit here where it's you know a man pursuing a married woman but no good outcome from that it was tragic very tragic and that is what happens in these situations there are tragic things that occur if you want to be the one sowing pain and agony that's what it's going to do and that is not who you want to be that's not who God's calling you to be God is calling you to be somebody who those love and and connection and meaning and value and that comes from a place of love and leads to more love and that kind of a dynamic is not going to do that it's it's not going to go there so yeah i just don't recommend it i agree and i I appreciate you definitely not and the thing is you know David's sin, it didn't just, I mean, obviously it ended in the death of his friend and it ended in the death of his illegitimate child, but it also affected him as a parent. Um, You know, he was ineffective as a parent. His children, a lot of them are lost. They won't be saved because of his poor example. And it affected his children for generations. It affected, you know, it doesn't just affect you and the other person. It affects children. It affects other people you know, many other people. Yeah. And you really have to think of the consequences of, you know, of, you know, just not being a selfish yeah. person and thinking of the feelings of, of others. And, yeah. and even if you look at some of the situations in the Bible where the man had more than one wife, there were situations, I mean, these were not in here to set an example of what to do. These were in here to, to help us see the results of what happens even in those situations, there ends up being conflict and jealousy and anger and bitterness and all kinds of things. And, and I, I know there's people that teach how to have, you know, relationships that are more forgiving and gentle and like dealing with your jealousy in these kinds of situations and stuff like that. But like, it's it's not bringing any party to the point to the to the level of love and connection and wholeness that God is wanting everyone to have. So do, do these things happen? Yes, but is it is it God's best for people? No. That's not his plan. When you have a a, a connection between you know, a godly connection between a husband and a wife, and they are fully devoted to each other, and there is nobody else involved in that picture, and it is just their connection with each other in, you know, that sense. It is a powerful, powerful thing. It is so healing to the heart and soul of both parties in it, and it, and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And that's what God wants for everybody. And that, you know, I, I've never seen that in in a relationship that has more people involved in it. Absolutely. All right. I think we have one last question. I don't know. Do we have enough time? Yeah, it's a short answer. All right. Let's do it. All right. Get that up. All right. So Michael is asking. I am learning Hebrew by reading the Old Testament in the original. Much of what seems explicit in the King James Version is actually inferred and implicit in the Hebrew text. Is this a widespread characteristic of biblical Hebrew? 
So I do like this question. And first, Michael, I really want to applaud you for learning the Hebrew and trying to read it yourself, because that really, as you're seeing, you're, you're now realize that there's so much more to the Bible than what you get from the translation. And it's not like there's any fault with the translation. It's, it's, as I often talk about, there's just a challenge naturally when you try to translate from one language to another. And it's especially difficult with Hebrew because it's a very metaphorical language. You know, so like for anger, the word for anger might be like breathing heavily. So do you really want to just literally translate it that then this person breathing heavily? Or do you want to translate what was the intent of it that that person was angry? And this is just that regular decision or frequent decision that a translator will have to encounter. How do I do this? Do I want to convey what the Hebrew would have seen? Or do I want to convey what a Hebrew would have understood when reading the Bible? And so there's multiple different versions of the Bible because there's multiple different possible options for translating. And, and then adding to this, it not only, you know, is the language more, might be more metaphorical or you have idioms or things that don't translate, you know, easily word for word, you also have different grammar. And so that also is why when you read a King James Version, there might be a lot of those brackets where they're filling in words, because when you just read the, the Hebrew grammar, it's a very simple grammar and they might not use articles and they might not use he, she pronouns, things like that. And if you were just to translate word for word, when you read it in English, it looks like bad grammar. And you think something's wrong, you might pause and stutter and, and go back. So it's very good to, um, to keep these things in mind. It's not that we should doubt or have concerns with the translators because, hey, things are a little bit different there. It is, are they really you know, being truthful when if you have to convert it, if you have to translate it into a different language, given the challenges, are they doing a good job? And I think all the versions with all the different approaches, um, the way they do it is pretty good. And what you get is the best, the best approaches. Look at all the Bible versions. And if you're able, go back to the original text. That's the best way to read the Bible, which is what you're doing. And I hope you will continue to explore and learn amazing things by looking at the original text. All right, and I think we have, Kita, did you have anything you wanted to add to that one? No, I think that was solid. <laughs> okay, great. And I think we have one more question that just came in this evening. If we want to bring that one up. So the question is, is, is what's going on in the Ukraine a precursor to the Battle of Armageddon? If so, shall we be looking up now for our redemption draweth nigh? Correct? And I need to get a little bit of background maybe on this, which is I think a lot of people believe that this Armageddon and God versus Magog and all these things involve Russia. And... And so everybody's so excited when, oh, there might be a war with Russia, or Russia's acting weird, and oh, Putin's probably this, and Putin's probably that. So now, Tina, I'll let you go and answer this question. Um, I, yeah, I think that's another aspect I didn't even think about, you know, off the top of my head. Um, but what I would say to this, because I agree, I think, yeah, a lot of people think, oh, you know, Russia's King of the North, or Daniel 11, or all these things. I wouldn't, I don't want to say, like, Oh, it's, you know, nothing. I think everything, you know, should point us back to the reality that Jesus is coming soon, that we need to make sure we're always right with God and that we don't know when our time is, you know, to, to, you know, you know, when our, the end of our life will be in, um, at the end of our story and, you know, how we made a decision to be right with God. So we need to be doing that on a daily basis. Um, but as far as, you know, what's going on in the world, um, you know, over in the Ukraine, um, I, I don't mean to dismiss it. I'm, I'm not dismissing what's happening because I know it's very serious. And I think we need to be praying for these people in this part of the world and, you know, doing what we can to um, show them Christ's love. But I do think um, it's one of many climaxing things that are happening in a world that are part of what we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse six, um, where basically Jesus is talking about 
um, you know, the end of the world are, you know, signs of his coming to his disciples. And what it says in 24 verse six, it says, Jesus says, and you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So basically, you know, um, and if, if you continue in, in verse seven, it says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against key, kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. We definitely experienced that, you know, recently in the last two years, the pestilence that's um, gone on. But again, it, the end is not yet. Um, we do need to be, you know, looking for Jesus coming. These are signs of his coming, but this is not the end. This this uh, situation in and of itself um you know, is, I wouldn't say is the end, the end is not yet. Uh, but I would say, you know, we definitely need to be, again, like I'm saying, praying, making sure we're right with God. And, um, and again, using every chance we have to witness to others of the love of God that, you know, and of Jesus, that his coming is very, very soon. Um, I don't know, Jay or Wendy, you have and, any thoughts on and, that? And, and, you know, there, obviously for people who are more at higher risk from this event, you know, it, all of us have, you know, our, our, our life is, is short. It's limited. We don't know when, when our last breath will be, we, you know, we don't know. And so making the choice each day, each moment to give our heart to God, to live according to him, to seek his path for us, will for us. That is the important thing that we focus on all the time. It's, it's, it's not the world events that are going on. We know these things are going to happen because, you know, the Bible has talked about it for thousands of years. So um, we know these things are, are going to happen. And but we, the focus should be on our relationship with God, our connection with God, and living our life the way he would have us to live it each day. Amen. Um, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say one last thing. Um, if you keep going, one more verse, <laughs> 24 verse 8, it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows, which is like birth pangs, which they're going to be, you know, think these you know, war, wars, rumors of wars, all these things are going to get, you know, they've been around for hundreds of years, but they're going to get more intense and more strong as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus. Um, so I definitely see that, um, you know, this is definitely, again, it's a, warning, you know, just like as birth pangs, meaning like, you know, when you're going to have a baby, which as somebody who's had a baby, let me tell you, <laughs> it gets more and more intense right before, you know, you give birth. And, you know, at first it might be a little bit, but then as it's closer, they become stronger and closer together. And we see that definitely happening in, in our world. So, you know, may this be a wake up call for all of us to, you know, again, like you're saying, be right with God. Um, and, you know, do what we can to to share the gospel with the time, short time we have left. And um, because we don't know, <laughs> we don't know the hour. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the battle of Armageddon, just to say, like, it really is the battle of the heart, as we're talking about, is mm -hmm. that decision to be with God, the decision to be on his team, his decision to stand like, like Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Bendigo, you know, when everybody's bowing down to the false idol, the false image, are you willing to stand true even in the threat of death for God and for what's right and for what's truth? And that's the heart of, of this battle that we see in Revelation 13 through 16. Amen. So, Amen to that. Well, I know we God and choose life. time. Oh, sorry. I was just to say, I pray everybody chooses God and chooses life. Amen. Amen to that. That's God's will for all of us. Um, really quick, I know we're out of time, so I did want to share my new piece of news that I did. I promised you all at the beginning of our show today, and what our cool news is is a really cool feature that Bible Ask has made, uh, which is a Bible app on your phone at, that you can download. If you go to BibleAsk.org forward slash apps, so we have our website BibleAsk.org forward slash apps. You can download on, you find the link to be able to download on your phone, a really cool Bible app. Now I've had many Bible apps over the years and I love this one. This one is fantastic. So basically, I don't know how well you can see it, but it's really cool because it has some really neat features. Um, if you go to the side, um, 
let me forget what that's the menu <laughs> i can remember um it gives you options for your font size which i've never seen that and bible apps i've had it gives you night mode so if you're like me and you like to read your bible right before bed i read my bible morning throughout the day and i'm night. so excited i'm so excited about night mode because you know how many times like I'll wake up in like the middle of the night and I want to read something before I, you know, to help me get back to sleep and put me in a good frame of mind. And all my Bible apps right now are all like white background and it's so bright. So I'm yeah. super excited yeah. about night mode. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I love it. I'm just like super stoked. I can not keep my husband on <laughs> read. The book of revelation before bed because that's what i like to read at night um and also has some versions we have two versions now i know that we're working on trying to get more as options but they're really cool and then you have of course a great search and i love because it has all words or exact phrase or any word old and new testament um you can copy and share um, the bible verses with you know others and it's just a really really great app i love it and so um, i'm not just saying that I really, really like it. And again, from somebody who reads their Bible all the time on their phone. So I hope that you'll take advantage of this. It's totally free. And um, be sure to, again, go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash apps, and you can find the link to be able to download it on your phone. We pray it is a blessing to you um, as you continue to study God's word, because that's all we're trying to do with Bible Ask. Um, and we volunteer with this every week because we just love God's word. We love um, what it's done in our lives. We want to share it with other people. And so um, again, we hope that you enjoy this app. And if you have any comments or anything about it, you'd like to share with us, please do so on our uh, social media pages. We are on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitch. Uh, I think we're even on Twitter too. So um, be sure to check us out on all of our social media and um, be in touch with us. We'd love to be part of um, your life and you to be part of our community here with Bible Ask. So uh, let's go ahead and close tonight with a quick word of prayer. Jay or Wendy, do you want to pray? All right, I will pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we just want to thank you so much for your word, your love, and your desire for us to know your love and for everybody in this world to know you, Lord. And um, we thank you for this Sabbath day and this chance to draw near to you, to put our trust in you and our faith in you, and to just spend time in relationship with you and and not having to worry about you know the the cares of of our world of, of everything else we have going on in life and lord i also want to um pray right now and ask for your your um protection on your people in ukraine and everything that's going on there um that i know this is this it breaks your heart to to see this kind of stuff happening and um, I just pray that you will really bring your, your comfort upon your people and draw them near to you and help, help those who, who seek you, Lord, uh, to, to really know your love and protection during this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We hope to see you all again next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, again, we're on every Friday night, so we'd love to have you join us and be part part of our Bible Ask Live community. God bless you all. And uh, be sure if you have questions you'd like to um, formally submit on our show, be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And we'd love to hear your questions for future episodes. Good night, everybody. And God bless you. Bye.